the Cambridge Marketing Podcast with Kieran Kapoor. Brought to you by Cambridge Marketing College. See their range of courses and apprenticeships at marketingcollege.com. Hello and welcome to the Cambridge Marketing Podcast. Today's episode has been requested by listeners and you asked me to cover a number of marketing models. Um, So I've chosen some models that I find really useful when I'm doing real life planning and real life marketing. These might not be the ones perhaps you were expecting, but these are the ones that I use. Um, So we're going to look at Ada, Anzoff, VUCA and PESO. Um, And we're going to have a little bit about how they work and why I find them useful. So we will start off by looking at Ada and Anzoff. ADA stands for Attention, Interest, Desire and Action. It's a lovely simple model for viewing communications that the first thing we want to do is grab people's attention. We want to then move them into being interested in what we're offering. We then want to create this desire for a product or the service that we're selling. And then finally, the most important thing is the action because they can sit there being very excited about the product but if they don't actually do an action we may not know that or we may not actually make any revenue the action is usually a purchase but it could be to go and find more information now of course grabbing attention in a noisy modern always on world is difficult um, but you don't need to grab everyone's attention you just need the attention of your target market So to give you an example, here is one that I listened to um, a lot recently, which is from the exercise bike brand Zwift. Fun. It's different for everyone. It doesn't matter if you're a rookie or a pro. Find your fun in a world of endless roads. Find it when you smash that new workout. Boom. Find it in a group ride. Find it in a race. Find it when you up the pace. Join Zwift and find your fun with the indoor cycling app where fun is fast. So they grabbed your attention with the music at the beginning. And although you can't see it, there were lots of moving images and bright colours on the screen. And obviously lots of people sitting on exercise bikes. But did you also notice the, the peak of the interest? Find it when you smash that new workout. Find it in a group ride. Find it in a race. If you're not into exercise bikes or you're not into being competitive, then this is not going to pique your interest or create your desire. But for the right target market, which is all they're trying to aim for, it could push you into taking some action. And here that is simply getting more information because the advert actually ends with a with a web address for Zwift. If you're not the person that actually wants to buy the bike, you could be in the sort of wider group of decision makers looking at it going, oh, that might be something that is of interest to somebody else. It might be that you're going to purchase it as a gift or you're going to offer the information to somebody and say, have you looked at this? This might be something of interest to you. And all Zwift is trying to do is stand out in a marketplace where they're up against some fairly straightforward competition. I mean, even as a non-bike rider, I could probably tell you the sort of three or four other brands that they're up against, Peloton being one of the big ones. So Ada is this nice, easy, 
way of thinking about structuring your communications or any advert or any campaign, because you can do these things over a period of time. You can have an attention grabbing campaign that just starts with something that makes you interested, grabs your ideas, perhaps gets you interested, and then slowly over time explains what the campaign is about and finally moves you to an action. Or as in the Swift ad, you can try and do the attention, interest and desire all together and finish on the action. And it has this sort of nice, simple, common, common sense feel about it, which is why I really like Ada so much. The Cambridge Marketing Podcast from Cambridge Marketing College, training marketing and PR professionals across the globe. And then we're going to spend some time looking at A for Anzoff. Now, the Anzoff matrix is another one of those absolutely classic marketing tools. And it's a method of planning growth strategies that simply looks at your products and marketplaces. So products is your current products or perhaps potentially new products that you might want to consider developing. And your marketplaces are your existing marketplaces, the customers that already buy from you that know about you, and perhaps moving into some newer marketplaces, often something that companies need to do in order to grow. Again, it's a nice, simple idea. If you could just think of a two by two box grid or matrix with four boxes in it, we're literally going to look at all four items one at a time. They go up from the least risky to the most risky. Um, so when you're planning your growth strategy, you need to think how much risk you want to take on and how much risk you can afford to take on. Um, Ansoff is like many of these tools, looks very simple on paper. It looks quite elegant on paper, um, but there is an awful lot of real world marketing and a lot of research and other th and product development and research and development that you have to do that goes around it. But as a basic tool for planning, drawing out where you think you are, I have to say it's probably one of the tools I use most often in my own work. So let's start with the first box, the least risky growth strategy, um, where we have an existing product in an existing market. So we know our existing product, hopefully we know our existing market. And this is called market penetration as a growth strategy. In order to increase sales, we have to encourage people to use more or people to come to us from our competitors. And we can do that perhaps by doing some pricing, um, we could do some some general promotion. And here's an example of Weetabix, the, the breakfast cereal, suggesting that you can eat your Weetabix any which way, different times of the day, different ways you want to eat it. It's a classic market penetration strategy. Ah, the classic Weetabix. Clever. Get them to eat a bit of Fruitabix. Mmm, that looks cosy, Abix. What the... It's just odd, Abix. And that is totally bonkers, Abix. Now I'm starving. What's that bowl, Abix? Try it any which way, Abix. The next box we're going to look at is we're going to take our current products and we're going to introduce them to a new marketplace. Quite often, this is the idea of moving your current products internationally. So I sell marketing qualifications in the UK. I know that area. I know the people that buy my products. I know the type of products I'm selling. And I think, OK, now is a good time to move into selling the same UK products, UK qualifications into an international marketplace. In that case, I am doing a basic market development strategy. 
then I might like to think about a different strategy where I look at my existing customers, my existing marketplace, who I know very well, and I think, what new products would those customers like? So what can I do? What might they take on board? What If I did some research and development, what is the next thing that my current customers would like to have? So I'm going to give you another Weetabix example. Weetabix looked at the fact that their current customers were getting busier and busier and were no longer having time to have a sort of family breakfast or any breakfast at all. Now, that's a big problem if you are a breakfast cereal brand where you need people to not only um, put out your Weetabix, but actually probably soak them in milk and it takes a little time for them to be ready to eat. So they came up with the whole breakfast on the go strategy. And here they are with a proper breakfast bottled. Who has time in the morning? Not me. Too busy sleeping. And that means... Hey Kev, no time for breakfast. Till now. Thanks Marge. Weetabix have made a proper breakfast you can drink. Mm. Okay, let's go. Weetabix on the go, a proper breakfast, bottled. And our last box, which is the most risky strategy, is diversification, where we take a product and actually most likely we take a brand and we move that into a new marketplace. It does require a really strong brand that people are comfortable with and are happy to um, move with you. Um, and you are then moving into completely new marketplaces and with new products. Brands that are brilliant at this are brands like um, Virgin. Virgin seems to be able to move into anything, including brides and cosmetics, because people see it as a brand that they understand and are happy to move with it. But you can also see other products such as uh, Levi Roots, which moved from its original, um, I create a reggae reggae sauce. Somebody put some music in the food for me. Give me some reggae reggae sauce. At reggae reggae sauce. It's so nice, I had to name it twice, we call it reggae, reggae sauce. Still taking the brand message, it's Caribbean, it's still got Levi Roots, who is the very much the iconic figure of the Levi Roots brand, but it's taking it into a completely new marketplace. Levi Roots and Domino's bring you a taste of the Caribbean with the delicious new reggae reggae pizza. Mozzarella, roast chicken, peppers, tomatoes, pineapple and original reggae reggae sauce. Mike. What have you done to the living room? Order the new reggae reggae pizza now and let Domino's bring out the reggae reggae in you. And now we're going to move on to VUCA and my colleague Natasha Wilson, tutor at the Cambridge Marketing College, um, talked to me about VUCA uh, back, um, back in 2021. VUCA is a really interesting acronym um, that was initially used um, probably during the Cold War um, in the States um, and is to define a volatile, uncertain, ambiguous and complex landscape in which we live and operate. So you can imagine with the pandemic um, and other you know, challenges that we face with in our businesses and our jobs, um, I think we definitely are living in a VUCA world. Would you agree, Kieran? I agree with you. I, I first came across this term about 
five five or six years ago. And at that stage, we were you know, we were sort of 2016, 2017. It seemed very, quite uncertain then. And yeah, a pandemic since then has really made it uncertain. OK, so it's volatile, it's uncertain, it's complex, it's ambiguous. What effect does that have on us? Well, huge, because it's very difficult for us to plan. So whether we are leading organisations or working in our specific roles, uh, we have to be very agile, very good at adapting and anticipating change and embracing change. So, you know, we've had, at you know, for many years, the chance to be able to work in quite... Um, environments that were not changing so much and this is so different now um so in a way you know in marketing and and other roles that we are taking on uh we have to deal with this and there are different ways how we can react we can just survive we can manage to adapt which to a certain extent we've done with a pandemic when we had to work from home or use hybrid ways of working and we still try to navigate this change and businesses are, are trying to find a, a, the right way to do that. Um, you know, we've had the chance to have, you know, vaccines and, and have a bit more freedom of movement. But also we can seize the opportunity and think about how we can innovate. Um, so I'd like to talk about even the way the vaccine, you know, has been developed so quickly. There were There was definitely a shift in terms of the process of innovation. Um, where, you know, people, amazing amount of people, talented researchers and uh, different organizations got together and managed to fast track the clinical trials, uh, the regulatory processes to achieve in less than 12 months, um, you know, a vaccine that, you know, originally would have taken years. So I think in a way the pandemic has forced us to work differently and to think about what innovation means in our in our workplaces, but also in ways how we deal with um, further challenges like like global you know, pandemic. And finally, we come to the world of PR and social media and college fellow Alan Anstead explains the PESO model. P-E-S-O. I would also be a bit cheeky and say in public relations communications, we have far less acronyms than the marketers do. And um, marketing has full of acronyms, I see. And so there's there's less. But PESO is a fairly new one in communications, in PR. And it stands for paid, earned, shared and owned. Uh, and it's a way of selecting channels fairly strategically for your communication. Paid channels being what you pay for. Um, that may be for, say, a sponsored post on Facebook or some banner advertising or, in the traditional world, some actual advertising, a poster or something. So that's paid. Earned, the second one, is well, what did you gain from doing some communications? What did you earn? And that traditionally would be a journalist writing a very positive article about your organisation or the issue perhaps that you're campaigning on. That's earned. It's written by a third party and you've earned it. That could nowadays be a blogger writing about, have you seen the new course? The Cambridge Marketing College is offering. It's really good. I think that's really going to fill a need. You know, that 
independent blogger from the college, um, that's earned for the college. S next, shared. That's what people do with your content. They share it. Very easy to do with social media, sharing it, liking it. Um, what often is called engagements on social media. For your posts, how can you get people to share it? Um, it gives a rating as well um, that's more than just owned, which is the last one. That's your own channels, your own Facebook feed, uh, your own website as an organisation, uh, your own publications, printed or online. They're all owned. Things that the content that you produce. And you can see that if you laid that out as a sort of a map, there'd be circles, concentric circles overlapping each other because some of the owned may be paid as well or the owned may be shared or earned. So that's PESO. It's a way of looking at selecting the right channels for um, a, a, a given um, campaign or other effect that one wants. I hope you found that useful. As I said, these are models that I use quite regularly. If you'd like to suggest future topics for future podcasts, you can contact me by any of the Cambridge Marketing social media or by any of the online contact details. I'm always happy to incorporate ideas and suggestions. You may not be aware that there's a treasure trove of over 200 episodes of the podcast, which covers a wide range of marketing topics, some of which we've covered over again today. You can find the podcaster's guide to marketing acronyms. You can find the rest of Natasha's interview talking about VUCA and why it is so important. And Alan Anstead explaining the PESO model and how PR works for small businesses. Thank you for listening. Do subscribe to the podcast anywhere that you normally get your podcast from and we'll pop directly into your ears every week. I'll hope to catch you again soon.